0: don't forget to subscribe rate and review the podcast as it really does help to give the show a little boost and for that I am always grateful this week I went to Bethnal Green and visited the lovely Ewan in her gorgeous studio and I'm happy to say she has even more crockery than I do I hope my fiancé is listening because I think he thinks I have a problem, which I definitely do. <laughs> I'm basically Monica from Friends with special crockery that I'm saving for when the queen comes. Anyway, I wasn't sure it was possible, but I guess hers is a professional studio that she hires out and does professional shoots in. I learned loads in today's episode, which was really nice, and I left clutching a bowl of deliciousness that Yuan's mom made me, and it was just heavenly. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Enough of me waffling on. Here it is. My guest today is Yuan Lu. Yuan is a writer, cook, photographer, and food stylist. She runs supper clubs and the UK's only dedicated Vietnamese cooking classes in her Hackney studio. She writes and blogs about food, recipes, and travel. She's worked with a whole host of amazing people, including Raymond Blanc and Jamie Oliver, to name just a few. Her cookbook, My Vietnamese Kitchen, was a roaring success. And you know her food is incredible when there is a tweet from Ottolenghi declaring himself to be the luckiest person alive as he was about to eat her food. Welcome, Ewan. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Desert Island Dishes. I mean... That is high praise, isn't it? From Ottolenghi.
1: I know. I couldn't believe that when I when I saw that. I It was like that scene on Amelie. Oh, yeah. Like
0: water <laughs> falling down. <laughs> I mean, I hope you printed out that tweet and framed <laughs> it because I definitely would. Your amazing cookbook, My Vietnamese Kitchen, which came out in 2013, even though it feels like just the other day. No, it
1: is. Oh, a long it, time ago. Does it, feel, does it feel like a long time? <laughs> to me,
0: it feels a little bit dated now. Oh, really? That's yeah. interesting. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Well, I think it's beyond gorgeous and filled with incredibly delicious things. And I also just loved the autobiographical style of it because I feel like I learned a lot. How important was it to you to produce not just a recipe book, but more a more informative book than that?
1: Well, for me, I always... Love writing, and I've been writing since I was a child. Lots of stories and and letters. So, when I start writing, I, I just can't stop. Yeah, so that's why <laughs> those things are in there. But also, it's quite important for people to understand where the food comes from and why it's like that. And and for me, anyway, because it's it
0: forms my history and who I am. Definitely, it sort of it lends so much more depth to the recipes when you sort of understand where they're coming from and how the ingredients have been influenced and all of that. You grew up in Hackney after arriving with your mother and your brother from Saigon in 1983, and you arrived as refugees from the communist regime. You must have been very young at the time, but how much do you remember of growing up in Saigon?
1: I remember the food, the food. My grandmother used to make us and she had a a store like most people do in their living room and she would serve noodle soups for breakfast and my mom would be making baguettes, meat-filled baguettes on the side and that's how people would make a living.
0: So she had like a makeshift restaurant in her house?
1: Yeah, people still do that now and so she made this noodle soup for breakfast so I remember that really well. Um, how she made it and the taste of it and the rain in the monsoon to yeah. I don't know, like
0: us playing around in in the, the restaurant with the customers. Yeah. And so do you remember when you first got to London, you got to Hackney?
1: I do it was really, really cold, so oh, really my I mean, there were summers back then, but I can only remember the cold, yeah
0: <laughs> it was snowing at some point, the sun must have come out, but not in your memory <laughs> i think I think in the eighties, the winters
1: were much harsher than they are today, and I just remember it snowing a lot and and I remember having my first bowl of what was it frosties oh
0: yeah (laughs) a a special moment (laughs)
1: yeah it was I really remember it It was just like the most refreshing delicious and we'd never tasted fresh milk before because they only had um UHL
0: oh yeah of course and
1: you know they they, there was no refrigeration really so that cold milk and that sweetness and the crunch oh
0: yeah that is a simple pleasure but a good one isn't it So I still have that for dessert, you know, and again. Yes, nothing wrong with that. Let's talk about the first Desert Island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood.
1: I think apart from my mum's dinners, it has to be school dinners. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What did they consist of? I... Everyone went on about how gross they were, but I absolutely loved them. Like the the tinned ravioli, oh yeah, <laughs> and the um, the fish fingers, the rice pudding, spam fritters.
0: Oh, a spam fritter! I don't think know. I've ever had a spam. Fritter. It's
1: just all really naughty. And and the jelly and the the shortbread that we all loved so much. I think it was because my mum brought us up on a Vietnamese diet. Yeah, and it was. I mean, I didn't know it was healthy, but it was. Yeah. So we really liked that junk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going to school and getting to have yeah. some like naughty food. And by one o'clock, we were so hungry. So it was just, I think the, the, that's my childhood
0: memories that the British food was no, yeah. That's a really good memory. Yeah. And going back to you saying about your grandmother and um, having the restaurant in her front room. So obviously being an entrepreneur and a lover of food, is that something that does run in your family?
1: I think so. It must be. I think because we, my family and, and, and me growing up, watching my mum work so hard, it's, and we, we lived, we were, you know, we were from a very poor background when we first came to the UK. So, and I saw her working hard all the time, every day and night. So I just sort of grew up to to believe and to think that that's what you have to do. Yeah. So it just comes as second nature and and food has always been a part of of everyday and it was it's food is eating is like a sanctuary. So you work really hard and then you can just sit down and yeah. enjoy a really good meal together. So I mean for me even today when I work really hard I just love cooking and I get home sometimes because it's just relaxing. Yeah. And I can be in my kitchen and and I can taste things and I don't have to think, but I can just cook. And yeah. Then, and then eating together and then just sort of opening up
0: and being with whoever you're with. Yeah. It's such a nice thing. So you said that in Vietnam, what your grandmother was doing was relatively common. Like lots of people had those sort of restaurants in their houses. But I guess what I'm asking is, how common was it? Like your grandmother doing that, was that her being really entrepreneurial and sort of slightly different? Or is it, it's sort of everywhere you go, that's what people are doing. Are there people in Vietnam who don't love cooking?
1: I think there are lots of people who don't love cooking because there's such a a culture of people eating street food. Yes. And that there's no point cooking it at home because some okay. lady will have it,
0: okay, you know, yeah.
1: around the corner or she'll come around and announce herself. Okay. Um but the time after the war when the communists took over, the the Vietnamese people didn't really have anything and so they had to be entrepreneurial and and use their resources and and just think about what they can do just to feed themselves. Yeah. And food was really, really scarce anyway.
0: Yeah. Cause it was rationed, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah.
1: Because they, 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 couldn't trade yeah. and, and nothing can come in and nothing could go out and farmers weren't allowed to farm and things like that. So it, it was really hard to get food and, and um, my grandmother, she is just, she was so resourceful in, in every way I heard. And it was just her way of doing something and she cooked um this amazing noodle soup it's a lemongrass beef noodle soup really really fragrant from where she was born in Hue which is in the central parts of Vietnam near Hoi An so she brought that to Saigon and she she's you know she made it the way it's supposed to be made so everybody flocked there mm. to have it because it was like a favorite oh
0: my thing and she made Sounds it really amazing. well amazing yeah What you said about how obviously there are people who don't like cooking in any country that you go to, is it a generational thing? Do you think there's any danger of sort of the younger generation not learning the traditional dishes that perhaps they've grown up eating because we can just rely on the older generations? That's a really good point. I'm scared Oh, (laughs) these people. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think uh, that's something I think about quite a lot. It's sort of... Could easily head that way, couldn't it?
1: Mm, I think not for here, like no. in the UK. But yeah, perhaps back there, there is that. There would be that
0: problem. Mm. Oh, food for thought. <laughs> so let us talk about the second desert island dish, and that's the first dish that you learned to cook.
1: I can't remember what I first learned to cook when I was. A child, I think, because my mother wouldn't let me cook. anything. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. So I, I read that you sort of you used to cook a lot of Italian because your mum yeah. wouldn't let you in the kitchen. Yeah, she
1: she didn't know how to cook like the Western things. So yeah. then I would be watching like, Jamie Oliver and Adelia uh, Smith, and then like be recreating like um, prawn linguine or yeah. um, cakes, you know, not with recipes at all because. My mum couldn't afford to buy any cookbooks for me. Yeah, But she was like, you watched it, so you just make it. And then, um, so I think those are the things I started to cook first was the Italian stuff.
0: Yeah. Do you remember, like, was it all Jamie Oliver that you sort of taught yourself to cook from?
1: I think so. I think yeah. from his TV shows when I was a like late teenager. I think I we're the same age, me and Jamie. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think that's something that's come up quite a lot is, uh, you realise actually the value in the cooking shows. Like, obviously, they're really fun to watch, but a lot of people have had that as their answer, that that's sort of a, it is a massive way of learning.
1: Yeah, well, no, it was, it was just so aspirational how it, it was made anyway, and that's why they were successful. But it had such a, a big influence on me. I think I I was
0: raised on movies and Vietnamese food and, and music. Yeah, <laughs> I, he definitely... <laughs> Obviously, his food's amazing, but he he makes it look very effortless. So if yeah. you're scared to get in the kitchen, mm. he does kind of make it seem like there's nothing to be scared of, which yeah, is good.
1: but, you know, I didn't get it right. Nope. So I kept having to do it and do it. <laughs> Did you have any
0: disasters?
1: I think lots. And I think it's just all not really disasters, but just like learning How you know you don't put the garlic in first because it'll burn, yeah. And if you're going to use tin tomatoes, there's lots of varieties and they all taste different, and some taste really yucky and some taste amazing, and you know, things like that. And then learning what types of olive oils to use, and all those things that you only learn once you do it over and over. If you have the inclination to, yeah, it's experimenting, isn't Mm.
0: it? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It's a good cooking, is a good example of. Just to keep trying again and not yeah. giving up, and eventually yeah. you learn it and you get there and delicious. Mm. So Hackney in the 80s was a very different place, and it, it sounded it sounded tough. Your mother worked extremely hard and she made clothes um, in order to provide for your family, but it also sounded like she made the most wonderful food, cooking on a relatively small budget. Tell us about that.
1: Yes, she was such a she still is she's such an amazing cook and back then I think you know as a as a teenager I was like I just want you know burgers <laughs> but there her was, heart was breaking <laughs> yeah there was nothing better than going home after school and watching a bit of neighbors and home and away and then have her cook the most amazing fish with coconut like just caramelized with rice like really simple stuff you know, at the time I thought it was all very complicated, but now I know how she did it. It, it was all so quick and, and frugal and and it, it just didn't lack flavor. It was explosions of flavor all the time. You know, things like um, uh, a tomato soup. So you poach the t- tomatoes to get this tomato broth mm. with, and then you put sea bass in or mackerel or, or any fish really and then that makes a fish and tomato stock and then you put in coriander then you just keep layering the flavors and then you put lime juice in or lemon juice and then it's like sweet and sour Mm. so amazing and so fast that takes minutes to do that
0: sounds incredible
1: yeah and you just have that with rice and it's Uh. so healthy and and frugal you have two meals in one you have soup
0: and you've got fish and you've got as well you could do like a quick stir fry or something yeah so did you appreciate it growing up or did you just sort of take it for granted that everyone was going home and eating these delicious things like you were?
1: I think I, I was probably a bit resentful at yeah. some <laughs> point, thinking, why am I always eating this Vietnamese food and not a Sunday roast? Yeah. <laughs> I want to be like my friends, you know. Yeah. I think when I The grass I was, is always greener. Yeah. When I was a, a teenager and a, a child- I was just like, I want to be like other people because there wasn't a Vietnamese community and I didn't have any Vietnamese friends. And and my mum would, um, you know, w- when the, the school dinners went on strike, she would make this amazing three-tiered, you know, pat lunch with yeah. soup and rice and meat, pork belly <laughs> and pickles, you know. Oh my goodness. Like, and, and you, you were wh- just like, ugh, where are my fish fingers? Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, and then you can see the kids like we have sandwiches. What do you have? <laughs> it's like, it's embarrassing. Yeah.
0: Being a child, anything different is embarrassing. Yeah. It? You just want to be the same as everyone else. Yeah. But secretly you were living the culinary dream. I was. Yeah. Sounded amazing. And and Hackney itself has changed so much over the years, hasn't it?
1: Mm. it I mean, it was really working class. We, we lived in Highbury near Arsenal Stadium, the old oh, yeah. Arsenal Stadium. And you know, like Shoreditch at the time was just boarded up with graffiti, and no one went there and it was all dark and mysterious and and actually um there wasn't much um Vietnamese ingredients either, so we got things from my mum got things from Chinatown and um spit um brick Lane, oh yeah, yeah you know, the Asians and the Turkish supermarkets. But yeah, in Hackney, it was still really hard to get Vietnamese ingredients. Yeah. And not a lot of Vietnamese people lived there.
0: Oh, as really? Well. Yeah, I always think it's really interesting when um, you stay in the same area and it sort of changes around you. And some of the changes are slow and some are fast, but you sort of wake up one day and everything is different. I just think London's so interesting, like that, mm. the changes that have happened. We're going to talk about the third desert island dish. And that's the best dish you've ever eaten. <laughs> I can't
1: decide on this one either, but I'm going to go. I mean, it's it ranges from things like there's this fabulous creme caramel place in Vietnam that is just amazing. It's made by this poet. And um, to this pork noodles grill that I had when I went to New York because I miss my mom's cooking so much. Oh. I went to a takeaway. It was just like a small takeaway. And I got this grilled pork noodle salad and it was so memorable I mean that sounds amazing yeah (laughs) but I think I think the best meal I've ever had probably would be my mum's one of my mum's fur um when I was a child we had um this Australian couple they're actually they're called my Australian grandparents and one of them's passed away now but um they used to come to teach us English and our home and help us with our homework every Monday. Oh. And so every Monday my mum would lay out this feast for them and their favourite thing was fur. <gasps> you know, the, the beef noodle soup. And I think that's uh, probably the best meal. Yeah. she Does she make the best? I, yeah, she does. Oh, what a but, lucky couple. But I think she, she hasn't made the same as she did for the, for them back then, oh really? Like
0: <laughs> all red carpet was rolled out. For
1: yeah, I think she's she keeps trying, and it is amazing. But it's not as amazing as that afternoon yeah, that we
0: had. but but maybe it's the same. It's just the occasion that oh, makes really. it taste it. like I've had that loads, and you sort of try to recreate it, and you can yeah. never quite get it because so many other elements come into play, don't they? With yeah, taste and yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit more about that creme caramel. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so is, is creme caramel a traditional Vietnamese? Yeah.
1: Really? It is really traditional because right. the Vietnamese cuisine is so french, french
0: Of course,
1: yeah. And um, they love creme caramel there. Mm. And um, in this town called Phan Thiet, this poet and uh, teacher, he just has, um, in his back garden, he just has a, a night cafe oh, right. where he does coffee and creme caramel.
0: Oh my goodness, he's living the dream.
1: Yeah. And so next door into his shed or something, that's where he makes it. And he won't tell you if he steams it or bakes it or, you know, anything (laughs) really secretive. But it
0: is (laughs) utterly delicious. (laughs) He's a very wise poet, not giving away any of his secrets. Okay. So you went to Central St. Martin's. And after that, you started your own fashion company, juggling designing clothes with running a shop in Central London. Which is very impressive to do that straight out of college. Like, what were the biggest lessons that you learned from that experience?
1: I think I learned everything about failure and yeah. success during that period of my life. I don't, I think I was a bit crazy. I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, you were so young. I wasn't even trained <laughs> as a fashion
0: designer or. Because designing. Clothes is one thing and very hard. And then opening and running a shop is like a whole extra. Yeah, I was,
1: I, mean, I was working on a lot of film shoots because I um, specialized in film and video. And then there was a period where I wasn't working. So I just, and, and also before that, there was a period when I was traveling so much for shoots. And I just wanted to stay home. Yep. I really like staying home.
0: Yeah, <laughs> staying home is the best.
1: Yeah. So I just thought I'm going to do something that would commit myself to stay in London. Okay. And um, so then I saw this this property in Seven Dials, and I just thought, oh, imagine you can write stories, you can write scripts, you can do your photography, and you just have a shop.
0: I mean, so I yeah. used to do it
1: just did <laughs> it. Then they gave me a bank loan, and thought, like, oh my
0: god, I have to do it now. But I mean, I guess sometimes it's quite good to just do that, isn't it? Just get committed, yeah. throw yourself into it.
1: Yeah. I learned so much about obviously running a business or, or how to run it to the ground.
0: Yeah.
1: Which <laughs> very valuable lesson. Yeah. Spending too much money, not paying enough attention to my business. I, I learned all sorts of things about owning a business. Yeah. So now I, now I know what to do. Yeah. With anything I want to do,
0: I know how not to do it. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, invaluable. So many successful people that you speak to their first or even their first couple of ventures didn't work out. And they always say, I mean, everyone, it's a cliche, isn't it? But you learn more from your failures than you do from successes. After that, you started a blog uh, and then managed to persuade your mum to teach you to cook Vietnamese food before opening what was then the only Vietnamese supper club in London. How did the idea for the supper clubs come about?
1: Um, the supper club was such an amazing thing that I did and based on learning and, and failing at, at businesses. I was so inspired with my trips to Italy we would have dinner in the mountains far, 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 like two hours from anywhere up high in the clouds at someone's house. And they would open the house up and give you everything they had in the kitchen for 20 or 30 euros, Mm. including wine. So, you know, you have antipasti and then pasta and fish course and meat course and dessert. and, And I thought that was the most incredible thing I ever had. And one of my best meals as well. So I thought we should do that in London. London needs that, and and then at the time, someone um, was already doing it. Miss Marmite Lover. Oh yes, yep. And I I read about it and I thought incredible. This is like exactly like what they do in Italy. I'm going to do this too. And because I always did dinner parties for my friends, and then started a blog because everyone was asking me how oh, do you do this and this and this. I just I just went and did it, but it started to be Italian, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. When you started,
0: it was Italian? It was
1: Italian. I didn't know that. And then everyone said,
0: well, we'll only come if you make Vietnamese food. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it's such a clever concept, isn't it? Because it's sort of all the pros and great stuff from having your own restaurant without the sort of terrifying overheads. And it's sort of obviously a completely different kind of entertaining. But yeah, it's sort of the... F- the pleasure that you can get from throwing a dinner party, you're then turning that into a business, which is very clever. Was your mom really excited to teach you all the Vietnamese recipes or? She was really excited. Then she came and
1: cooked for the supper clubs as well. Uh And I was doing it for a couple of years before she helped me. And then I started, well, I I learned before as well, like, mom, how do you do this? And I'm going to do this for the supper club. And so she, she taught me how to do it and then she just
0: came and helped me as well and she hasn't stopped helping ever oh, since. Well, that's so fun. That's so fun. Okay, the fourth Desert Island dish is what is your favourite sandwich?
1: Oh, it's going back to my mum again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she is
0: playing a starring role.
1: <laughs> the Vietnamese, or all my mum's friends, uh, are all the Vietnamese, I yeah. call them. <laughs> they love to be Parisian. And um, when we first came to UK, she was like with her friend, we've got to, we've got to go to Paris. And, but she couldn't afford to take me with her. So I okay. had to
0: stay at home. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so she told you about the trip.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, she came home with about 10 Vietnamese baguettes, <gasps> you know, they're called banh mi and they're filled with grilled meat, barbecued, and they're, they're sweet and salty and filled with pickles like carrots and mouli. And it's got um, a cooling crunch of cucumber and then loads of coriander and butter and pâté. And it's in like oh this amazing, crunchy,
0: light, airy, crispy bread. Yum. Is that where the um, sort of bread from the inside of the baguette has been yeah. scooped out? it? and then they scoop out the inside
1: so it's not like filling.
0: Yeah, not super bready. Mm. That sounds amazing. It's like
1: my favorite sandwich ever. But when she you know she'd come home with them but then after the trip and everything they were all soggy and stale but yeah it was
0: still, still the
1: best sandwich oh that sounds and amazing I would have that any
0: day where can we get our hands on one of them well they they do a lot of them in London Oh, do they yeah have you had like a really great one not yet no <laughs> not yet. <laughs> maybe that's a gap in the market you could fill for us mm. um How would you define Vietnamese cuisine? I know that might be a stupid question, but is it by the contrast of salty, sweet and sour? Or is it, it's very precise, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's about the balance of flavor and the lightness of it. So it's about flavor, lightness and texture Mm. and refreshingness. Like how balanced it is in in that refreshingness. (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, like it's not stodgy. It's always... If it is a stew, it'll have that lime just to cut it through and make it a bit fresher. It's so light and crunchy, and yeah, was a great it's really Moorish, and I think it's a bit sweet as well, which is makes it a bit unhealthy, yeah, but otherwise it's
0: really healthy, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with a bit of sweetness, okay, so Were the supper clubs a success right off the bat? Like, how did you tell people what you were doing and how did they know to come and eat your delicious food? First, I begged and borrowed,
1: you know, like begged all my friends, paid them to come. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, blogged. And at the time, I enjoyed Twitter, and I don't anymore. Yeah. And made lots of blogger friends and and just went about, about blogging and my friends my blogger friends helped me spread word and and it took a lot of hard work just to write a lot and you know i i i couldn't read what i wrote back then it was just it's awful oh, and, really? the, and the photography <laughs> and everything but but somehow people read it and believed in me and and gave me their money and came to eat my food and they haven't stopped and they still keep coming and i can't believe it it's just
0: It's amazing, isn't it? I I definitely remember very clearly the first time that I did a paid cooking job, and you just you can't believe people are paying you. Yeah, it's such a strange feeling,
1: It's such a thrill Mm. that you're doing something that you quite like, and sometimes love, sometimes hate, depending (laughs) on how you know. We'll go for the average of like, (laughs) and um, and people are, and you're making people really happy. I think that what drives me more than the love for cooking. Yeah. But the fact that people really enjoy themselves or when I do cooking classes, how people are learning and, and taking that and
0: incorporating that in their lives. And yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's I, a really cool, it's a very cool thing to be doing. The fifth desert island dish is the dish you eat the most often.
1: Um, I eat noodle soups all the time. Yeah. And roast dinners.
0: Oh, great contrast <laughs> which if you had to pick between the two which would you pick
1: i really hope you wouldn't let me decide cuz i can't live without
0: both Either. of them okay
1: but um probably noodle soups yeah yeah i'll i'll forget i'll try to forget about the okay. roast dinners
0: <laughs> i really and, love roast dinners and you are a mother to a gorgeous girl is she growing up eating a little bit of everything
1: she is. Yes. Because I, I eat a varied diet. I don't eat Vietnamese all the time, although I should, but I, I love British food yeah, because of me growing up loving my school dinners. Yeah. Um. Hopefully my food is a little bit better than school yeah. dinners. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> um. So yeah, I let her eat, you know, everything that we eat. So one day we're having noodle soups, which she absolutely loves and she drinks all the broth, which I find like it's so incredible to see uh, such a young child doing it
0: because she's still really
1: teeny yeah and she you know like she'll slurp and eat and she'll have her tea towel around her as a bib but then you know she loves her roast dinners and fish and chips and pasta and we make pasta together and scones and cakes and you know, and, then, and now I'm getting her to do gardening. So we've done loads
0: of seedlings. Oh, orders. I feel very it, envious of her. She's, it's,
1: it's so much fun, like hanging out with my two-year-old, like doing, like teaching her things that I hope would carry her
0: for life. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, doing this podcast has sort of shown me how important it is to do all of those things because yeah. they're really important memories, aren't they? That we base so much future things on. Can we talk a bit about breakfast because I read that the reason the Vietnamese love having spicy things for breakfast is because it wakes up the senses and gives you lots of energy which makes a lot of sense. Mm. Why are we not all eating spicy things for breakfast all the time?
1: Mm, I, yeah, and and I think here we also are a bit scared of savory
0: foods in the morning. Yeah, which is so weird, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: apart from the English breakfast, I guess.
0: Yeah. But, but we don't we wouldn't have that really on a normal day.
1: Yeah. But yes. yeah, it will be like noodle soups for breakfast, um, as spicy as possible. Yeah. And with meat and loads of herbs and umani and lime and... or it'll be like one of those baguettes that I was talking about yeah. earlier. god,
0: yum. Um, <laughs> and so is that what you have on a day-to-day basis? Like no.
1: What, what do you normally <laughs> have? Is it frost? I'm so bad, <laughs> no. I'm so bad at breakfast. I I mean at the moment, it's always like trying to get Olive to eat her breakfast. Yeah. And the thing with my daughter is, and I think it's the way I've raised her is she'll, she'll have a few courses. Oh, re- <laughs> oh, very sensible. So by the time she's finished, it's like, I haven't got any time to do breakfast. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> she'll have a few courses for lunch and for
0: dinner as well. God, literally, I know I just said it, but she <laughs> is living my ideal life.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll try to have her po- with her porridge and, you know, we'll do eggs together and but we'll have brunch. Um, if we have brunch, it'll be
0: like a noodle soup. Oh, yum. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's the same in Japan, isn't it? They have a lot of soups and obviously savoury breakfasts. And yeah, I definitely think that's something I could get on board with.
1: Mm. It really mm. carries you through the day. It makes gives you a good start.
0: Yeah. So the sixth desert island dish is your go-to dinner party dish.
1: Well, it depends on the dinner party. So... If it's a dinner party for a few friends, then I'll make fresh pasta. Yum. And it will be probably vegetarian. I love doing vegetarian pasta dishes. Okay. It's just amazing. Yeah. For any
0: reason or just...
1: Just because it tastes so good and you just don't need meat in in Italian, lots of Italian food. Yeah. Or I'll do like a Japanese thing, like um, tuna sashimi with chips. Um, it's like everyone's favourite. Yeah. And then I make a, a wasabi mayo and a nice
0: salad God, that, that sounds amazing. <laughs> My stomach has just rumbled. Like... Oh, I, oh, I do a roast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and do you serve pudding? I
1: do. Um, I often do creme caramel. Yes. And then I make a, a pavlova as well because I've got the egg whites. Right, so a you'd double have pudding. To, yeah, or I'd make some sort of cake or... Yeah, I love, once I'm in the kitchen, I can just like cook for the
0: week. Then if I have time, if I do a dinner party, I just go crazy. And yeah. Do, <laughs> do you have much time to throw dinner parties or is it?
1: I do like on, well, I, I, I say that like on Sundays, we usually get friends around with kids. So now it's lots of lunches with lots of kids, kids hanging around, screaming, playing, trashing the house. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I make <laughs> meals where they could, you know, participate so unfortunately at the moment not so much chili but like loads of loads of different things that kids can have as well as adults from quiches to lots of vegetable sides like it'll be grilled poached
0: roasted barbecued vegetables lots of vegetables oh, your um <laughs> daughter's friends parents are very lucky <laughs>
1: yeah or then sometimes we also make fur pho- as well Yum. which makes everyone, everyone wants to come for that secretly, And then, and then if I say to them, we're having a roast. And yeah, well, you're can, like, I've made a I quiche in they like, yeah, oh. <laughs> I can feel the little sadness. Quiche Lorraine was not
0: <laughs> what I came for. So if any of us can't make it to one of your supper clubs, which everyone should definitely be coming to your classes. If people can't make it to one of your classes, where have you found in London that does good Vietnamese food?
1: I rarely go out for Vietnamese food. Well, yeah, why I would love, you? I love food so much that I want to eat everything. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say because I make it like, better at home, but no, you're just... No, sometimes my Vietnamese food at home is really bad. And I do believe it's, that. It's, it's only good at the supper club, but then I make like full effort or if I do it for friends, but if I just do it for myself, I actually hardly ever do it. Cause I, cause it's something now I've just, I just naturally do for other people. Yeah. And so, if I if I have time to go out, I don't ever go to eat Vietnamese because I just, I just don't find it exciting. Cause. Okay. Yeah, so I just want to eat like lots of other things, and everyone's talking about this restaurant or that restaurant, so I want to go there.
0: Yeah, I guess. The golden rule, I mean, there are no rules, eat what you want, but um, (laughs) you shouldn't eat in a restaurant what you could make at home. Like it's sort of a good chance to be trying out different things Mm. that you might not necessarily make yourself.
1: Yeah, sometimes we have cravings, me and my mum, we can't be bothered to cook it and we do go out to eat Vietnamese. But then it's like every single time, no, no, (laughs) no. What a waste of money would be what my mum would say all the
0: time. (laughs) <laughs> We're on to the final desert island dish, and that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island.
1: I would eat um the soup that my grandmother used to make. Oh, so it
0: brings full circle. That's a very good answer. So the noodle soup. Yeah, um, I, can't, I also I have can't live without that soup. <laughs> it's the most delicious thing. Have you got the recipe? Yeah, it's in, yeah, it's in my book. Okay, that yeah. is that is the actual recipe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, great, and <laughs> um, and you're allowed to take with you one luxury item. What
1: you I take? would take, um, I would take a bottle of really really good fish sauce. Ooh, because I actually put fish sauce in everything. I used to discriminate my mum for putting in everything, oh, yeah. but now I know that it Why? actually just <laughs> works with everything. Yeah, it's good. it's basically anchovies. So especially in Italian cooking, you hmm. um, just put it in. Like garlic, butter, no, shallots, butter, fish sauce and whatever veg like kale, uh, cavallonero or sprouts and then um, cooked pasta, toss that round with some parmesan. Yum. That sounds amazing. But it has to be like premium fish sauce because lots of fish sauces are really, really bad. Oh, really?
0: You can get Mm. bad ones.
1: Yeah. I think everything that's available in a supermarket is basically bad. Ah. And everything that people use on television is not good. Okay. Um. So people tend to think that fish sauce is all the same, but you know, like how soy sauce is not all the same.
0: Yeah. Or ketchup is not all the same. Yeah. It's the same with fish sauce. So it's definitely worth going to like a specialty supermarket.
1: Yeah. Go to a Vietnamese supermarket and get something that's about four or five pounds. Okay. Then that would mean that it had a good process and it, tastes yummy and it's not stinky
0: yeah oh, yeah won't yeah. stinky no <laughs> ending on a top tip there from Ewan thank you so much for mm-hmm. letting us hear your desert island dishes thank you I haven't managed to go to one of Ewan's cooking classes but I'm going in June so if you're keen you should definitely come along too her food is amazing And I definitely haven't eaten enough Vietnamese food. I don't know what I've been doing with my time, but it's something that I aim to rectify. Don't forget, as always, you can go to the website, www.desertislanddishes.co, and there you'll find the full list of episodes, plus the recipes I've created inspired by each episode. The question is... Will I be brave enough to cook a Vietnamese dish from today's episode? Hmm. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening and see you next time.